Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to the Umarpreneur Live podcast where I interview Muslim entrepreneurs to bring you their experience with entrepreneurship and the stories of the amazing businesses that they're building. And today I have with me Brother Saud Juman. Brother, assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, salam. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you, my man. And just for people to get to know who you are a little bit and a bit of your background, I was thinking of introducing you, but I think it would be a much better fit to you to, for you to actually give us a few words and introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what it is that you do, inshallah. Okay. Uh, so my name is Saad. I uh, hail from Toronto, Ontario. And uh, I'm a, I guess if, if you put me uh, in a box, I'm a tech entrepreneur. I awesome. uh, previously had a health care technology company that uh, we ran for 17 and a half years. Uh, and it was uh, sold in 2018. So we went through an exit. Uh, I'm also a father of a uh, few little kids that my wife and I uh, try our best to raise. And at this particular point, I am the CEO of a new tech company uh, that was started a little less than a year ago called Rocketship.io. Uh, that's in the logistics and supply chain space. It's a SaaS-based company again. Okay, amazing, mashallah. So it looks like you've already built a company, you've had a successful exit, and now you're building another. So you're back on track, right where you started, back on the journey of entrepreneurship. That's right, that's right. Absolutely. That's amazing, mashallah. Well, that's awesome to hear, bro. And I'm really happy to have you on the podcast today. Have you share your experience because a lot of our listeners actually are first-time entrepreneurs, people who are just getting started and they want that experience. They want to know, how do I build an app or software and we all know SaaS companies especially have, uh, you know, very complex business models. And, and they are, I believe, if I, if, I, if I were to permit myself to say, harder to start and grow than, let's say, a service company or an e-commerce store, right? Because there's just so many complexities that go into building a SaaS, acquiring users, getting the right developers, getting, you know, the right MVP or product out to your customers. So for you, before we even dive into all that interesting stuff, I want to know, you know, what is it that keeps pulling you to entrepreneurship? You started a SaaS company. You had a successful exit. You could have said, all right, this is it. I'm, I'm, I think I, I had my run and I'm good to go. But you, you went back at it again once more. So what keeps pulling you to entrepreneurship? What is it that's driving you forward? I think at this point, it's, it's just wired into my nature. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I say wired in because, I mean, I don't know if people are necessarily born entrepreneurs or you learn how to be entrepreneurs. I'm not quite sure. But uh, the seed was planted many, many years ago um, by my mother. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a funny story. When I was, uh, when I was 12 years old, uh, I loved to play basketball. It was my first love in life more than anything. Right. And uh, where I grew up in Toronto, sort of a lower income area of, of, of Toronto now, but uh, a lot of the basketball leagues that I grew up playing in were taken away. So mm -hmm. they weren't available anymore. And I loved to play uh, organized basketball as a child. So my mother came to me and she challenged me and she said, what if you started your own league? Um, and I said, where would I do that? She says, well, you know, the mosque is almost finished being built, right? So there's a, a mosque nearby uh, for our community is being built and there's going to be a, a gym in there. It was a warehouse at that point. Um, so, you know, she challenged me, she guided me, she mentored me. Um, but I remember, I remember doing everything. You know, I, I went, I got a book from the library to find out, you know, what the dimensions were of a basketball court because I had to paint the lines on the floor, set it all up. But over the course of five years, I learned so many things about entrepreneurship 
running that league that I still apply to this day within a SaaS environment. It's, it's you know, mm-hmm. in terms of hiring, people management, motivating people. Uh, I remember at that point in Toronto, there was a surge of immigration and we had a lot of new Muslims that came to our part of the city. And a lot of those kids that could really play basketball would show up, but they didn't have money for the league. So my mother once again challenged me and said, well, they need to be able to play how can we get money? So I learned about pitching for corporate sponsorships, you know, as a 13 year old. Um, So a a lot of those lessons, that's why um, I I guess I run the companies that I'm part of, I believe similar to a basketball team. Um, You know, we all have our roles and, uh, and, and and that's, that's how I operate the company. That's amazing. Mashallah. Well, uh, it really, it really is interesting to hear that you kind of had this initial experience in your childhood that, forced you into a leadership position and then figuring out, you know, the solution to a few complex problems. And then that led to perhaps realizing, oh, hey, this is something that I naturally inclined to. I think I enjoy. Let me see if I can turn it into an actual business and build a few businesses along the way. Walk us through the first business that you built, brother, a little bit more. What was it about? What is it that you actually did within that software? What problem did you solve? Well, I, I had a desire before I started the company to do something in health, something in healthcare that would have a positive impact on people. So I was really in a mode of searching to find out what opportunities would come along for me. Um, And then I found myself uh, getting a job at a tech company in the greater Toronto area in a sales position. So I was a sales guy selling. And back then, you know, early 2000s, right? Around the year 2000, that was the time when a lot of companies were raising money for the, and that was the business to raise money from angels. It wasn't about actually building a legitimate product. It was just raising. So I didn't know that at that time I got hired and I quickly learned that most of the prospects I'm selling to on the phone, they didn't want to buy the software we had. They kept on saying, we're looking for X. So I said, okay, this is a problem. And then I became friends with the head engineer and he said, Oh, I'm so frustrated. I said, what are you frustrated about? He said, whenever, you sell something, the new customer comes to me and said, we don't need it to do this. We need it to do X. So I said, that's the same thing they're saying on both sides of the, of, the, of the conversation. We took that idea to our CEO at that time. They were not interested in it. And I talked him into resigning. I said, let's resign and start a business. Now, timing is very important because now, you know, you're in Montreal, I'm in Toronto, you start a business. There are incubators, there's, well, there's COVID, but there's shared working spaces. There's all this infrastructure set up to start a company. Back then, you know, in Toronto, we only had something called the Mars building, which is a big building downtown. There wasn't a whole lot of of infrastructure. So when we quit, you know, he quickly looked at me and he said, where are we going to work? Because back then you start a business, you have to have an office. Mm -hmm. So I quickly thought, I said, don't worry, I got you, bro. I already have the office space lined up. It has 24 by seven access, it has a caterer, it has exercise facilities, it has a shower. He says, where is this place? I said, it's my mom's basement. I said, that's where that's where we're gonna do it. I said, she's the chef. I got my old weight bench down there, there's a shower. Um, so that's, that's where that company started. And uh, it was called Policy Medical. And what we ended up building, uh, we found a niche for building a specific type of SaaS-based document management company. It turned out that hospitals needed a specific type of document managed correctly. They were doing a poor job of it before. 
And the consequences were really, really large if they didn't manage the document correctly. It could lead them to a lot of lawsuits and potential uh, fines and jail time for the executives of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that was our initial niche. Um, our goal was to stay in Canada and sell the product in Canada, but that didn't work out all that well. And we had to kind of look down south to the United States to get our first uh, few clients. Okay. I want to ask you about how it felt when you made that decision to resign from your job to start your own business and then, you know, do it from your mom's basement, which is what so many entrepreneurs are so, you know, afraid of because it's a big step, right? To say, you know, I'm going to let go of my lifeline that I have right here, this stable paycheck that I get every two weeks or every month to start something unknown that, you know, there is no guarantee whether this is going to work or not. It's, you know, of, I have to believe in myself and I have to trust that it will work out and I have to take that risk. What was that like for you initially, if you were to recall that experience or those moments? And how did the people around you react to that, including your mom, when you told her that, you know, I'm, I might actually just bring a few guys in your basement and we're going to start a business? <laughs> um, so it so seems like two sides of the question. So for me, I'll answer the first part. Sure. How did I feel? It wasn't hard for me. It seemed very natural. It seemed like the thing I needed to do. And I just took action. I just did it. Um, Over time, when I look to mentors and people that I look up to, I see that that's something they do really well. I think we all do that from time to time, but kind of the great ones are very consistent. And I'm not saying I'm one of the great ones, but I'm saying people that I look up to, I'm like, okay, well, when they know there's a right decision, they don't question it. They just, they just go do it. Right. So I think that was a, that was a point in my life where I happened to do that. I think it was easy. I believe it was easier for me to do it at that time because I was so singularly focused on trying to find the right opportunity to make an impact on healthcare. Mm. That's all I cared about at that point in terms of my work world, right? How do I make an impact on healthcare? Um, and I think I had, I did a lot of introspection prior to deciding I wanted to do something in healthcare. It didn't have to be a startup, right? I didn't go into that thinking I need to be an entrepreneur or I need to be my own boss. I didn't think about that. I just wanted to make a positive impact in healthcare. I could have become a nutritionist, a personal trainer, a doctor, whatever I wanted, right? It just, I just went in that way uh, in terms of SaaS-based technology for, for healthcare. So I think the focus and the desire for healthcare is what made it easy for me to quit my job mm-hmm. and, 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 and kind of move, move, move into that. Um, to answer the second part of your question, how did those around me react? Um, my mother was actually very supportive. I mean, she was the most supportive one at that time. I mean, she, she cooked for us. She encouraged us. She saw that I was really focused on it, but others beyond her, you know, other family members and the extended family, even my friends from university, they would often tell me, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing in your mother's basement? Like, you know, you can be, you know, you can get a great salary as a software salesperson. You know, you're a great software SaaS guy. I mean, you can continue. You know, a lot of my friends were in that tech sales world. And something in me said, no, I, you know, I, I believe in this. I think it's going to lead to at least the next step succeeding. I never looked into the future. I always viewed, you know, the next like. If we made it past a month and we were able to start building the first version of the product, that's success, right? If somebody called me back and said they're interested in a demo, like I got, I got excited. That's success. So I just kind of looked at the next step. I didn't look too far ahead. 
That's amazing. Alhamdulillah. Well, I mean, that's all you really can do when you're starting a business. And for, you know, at Omerpreneur, we, we work with a lot of, a lot of um, startup entrepreneurs, people who are just getting started in their journey. And a lot of times when we start to talk about, you know, some high-level concepts and we start to talk about, you know, the big vision and the big mission, it's always an interesting conversation because then that dives into, well, Abby, can I really, you know, can I really write this down as my goal for the next five years? That seems really scary. That seems like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to achieve that right now. Like I, I haven't even started. I'm just you know, building this. It's just on paper. I've, I haven't done anything. And it, and it's always, it is scary when you're at the, the foot of the mountain and you're, and you're looking at the top, right? Right before a hike, right before you climb the mountain and it looks very far away and very daunting and just like this, this unachievable climb that you have to go through. But as you mentioned so eloquently, once you just, you know, bring your eyes back down, you got to still know where you're going. You got to look at the top and you got to know this is where I'm going. But once you bring your eyes back down and you're just putting one foot in front of the other, then you can focus on just taking every single step. And then before you know it, you're going to look up again and you realize, oh, subhanAllah, I'm already here. I've already made it, right? This is something that I didn't think I would ever be able to achieve but I've done it. Have you ever experienced that in, in your journey? Experience what in terms of just looking at one step ahead or looking all the way up the mountain? Yeah. So just like that, that, that experience of, you know, a lot of times we kind of set those goals and we think they're impossible, but then we just keep doing the daily actions and eventually we realize, Oh wow, this is, we were, we actually made it. We were able to achieve this, this goal that we didn't think was, you know, that was so grand initially. Yeah. I mean, all, all along the way, I mean, one memory that comes to mind in that, previous company was when we got our first sale, right? Um, you know, back then, I mean, even now, ironically, with hospitals, especially US hospitals, and we ended up accruing a large number of hospitals throughout the lifetime of the company. But the very first one, everything happened over fax machine, right? Uh, maybe your listeners don't even know what a fax machine looks like. But you know, everything <laughs> had to be faxed, and it would be faxed back from the hospital. So I remember coming back into that basement, my mom's basement, and seeing we had this huge fax, it was literally like this big, huge fax machine. And I was like, what's that paper in the fax machine? And I looked at it and it was a purchase order, right? It was confirmation that our first client was going to pay us money for our software, right? And, um, and really the pricing was just a made up price that we made up. I mean, we had no justification for making that price up. Um, you know, it was for $9,995, right? So, you know, I turned to my co-founder at that time and, you know, we thought we like, we thought we were rich. We thought we would just mm. hit it out of the park. We're like, <laughs> wow, this is amazing. I mean, somebody's paying us money for the software that we built, you know, 5,000 for you, 5,000 for me, we've made it. Um, mm. You know, that's, I think that was our attitude along the way. And then, you know, once we took a day to celebrate, then we turned our mind to, okay, what's next? What's, what's, what's the next goal, right? And then you achieve that. Yeah, subhanAllah. And that's, that's subhanAllah how it all works. You know, it, it, all, it all starts initially with a dream, with a mission, with a vision of what it is that you want to build. And then subhanAllah, you know, as you continue to put in the effort and you continue to take one step in front of the other, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to grant you his barakah, starts to grant you ease on the journey as long as you're committed and you're truly serious and sincere about it. And then you're able to, you know, achieve those goals that you've set out to achieve that initially looked so difficult and so impossible. And you recently now have started working specifically on really helping warehouses, which is a, or small warehouses become more efficient through technology. That's, that's really your tagline on LinkedIn. When I first saw that, I was very curious and interested, you know, because it's such a niche, it's such a niche market and a niche solution that I was very excited to talk to you about this. What, 
prompted the solution to come to play and, and what even sparked this idea? Tell me more about what it is that you do, brother. I'm really, really interested. Well, I had, I, you know, I, I had some time off. So in 2018, that last company was sold. I took almost a year and a half off um, and I explored, it was a mixture of exploring a bunch of different things, resting a little bit and also becoming a little bit complacent, to be honest. So um, I explored investing in other companies. Like, oh, what, if, what would it be like to be an investor? Then I'm then advising, then sitting on boards. Um, so, I, so I did a lot of that. Um, and then, you know, through, you know, a lot of talking with my wife, um, I, I realized that I don't want to be on the sidelines, right? I mean, I, I, love, I love basketball. I love sports. So I, th I always think about things like, like, like basketball, right? So I'm like, right now I'm on the sidelines. I'm operating as like a coach, assistant coach, trainer. Um, I want to be in the game. You know, I'm too young to be on the sidelines. So once I made that decision, I want to be in the, in the game, then I started to put feelers out to find co-founders because mm -hmm. based on my experience, you know, I'm in my mid forties now, right? When I started that last business, I was in my mid twenties. So, you know, I, I had a mentor last mm -hmm. year from the, um, from the basketball world. Right. Yeah. And, and he urged me, he said, Hey, you know what, do things, the, do things the 43 year old way. Don't do it the 23 year old way. So the 43 mm -hmm. year old way based on, with a little bit ex of experience, I know that if you think of a product idea for SaaS or any other business, that's, that's just the beginning. That's not the main thing. A lot of entrepreneurs think like, oh, I thought of this idea. The truth is what you end up going with, if it's successful, looks very different from what you initially thought. Like, there's going to be some pivots and some changes and everything else before you actually launch, launch the thing. But one of the critical ingredients of success is being able to mastermind and riff and bounce ideas off and soundboard and create with other people. So you need those collaborators. So I was searching for the right type of complementary collaborators that I could co-found something with. So when I put that out into my network, um, I ended up getting connected to an entrepreneur in the United States that I didn't know, but we had a mutual friend. So we ended up connecting, you know, just when the pandemic had begun actually, right? So I'm in Toronto and he's in, he's in Florida. Um, and it turns out that he has some small warehouses and he sells some apparel in the warehouses. And seven years ago, he was looking for software to make his um, warehouses very efficient. So he ended up, you know, looking at demos from other software companies to see what products he could use. He wasn't happy with any of them. So he ended up building his own. Uh, and his software has become so efficient and actually so popular that other entrepreneurs, even out of the warehouse world, visit him for field trips to see how can a business be run so efficiently? Um, so when I got to know him and I got to see a software, we both realized that, you know what, there's a software business here, potentially taking the beginnings of what he built for his business, rebuilding it and relaunching it into small and medium sized warehouses that are doing self-fulfilling. That means, you know, the shipping and logistics yourself, not going through an Amazon or a, what they call a third party logistics company. So that was, that's how the business was born. Um, I really liked it because the warehouse space is not a very sexy space. It's not very exciting. It could seem very boring. And, and that's the environment that I thrive in, 
right? When things aren't too popular, too sexy, that's that's what I like. I mean, when I when we got into healthcare in the last company, nobody really cared about healthcare uh, that much. Uh, these days, you know, health tech is is very hot. And that's really really true. And I want to ask you because you know you mentioned something that uh, I think you kind of glanced over, right? Because for you, it probably is just natural. It's one of the steps that you've taken to build this company. But for someone like me, for someone listening to this, that's uh, that's you know starting their business, it could be very interesting. And it's what is the process that you went through to actually determine who were the right partners to bring with you along this journey or who were the right co-founders to partner with? Was there a certain process? Was, was there specific things that you were looking for in a partner? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I have a little bit of experience, so I, I know what I enjoy and what I'm good at mm-hmm. and I know what I don't enjoy and what I'm not good at. Right. So when it comes to sales, marketing, client success um, and recruiting, those are the areas that 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 I'm decent at. When it comes to finance, operations, HR, I don't enjoy those functions as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also even though I'm I, I'm in the SaaS tech world, I'm not an engineer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, I, I can create software in terms of prototyping tools and whiteboarding it, but I don't know how to develop and code. So I knew from a base level, I need subject matter expert, co-founder, somebody that has deep knowledge in an industry that we end up going into, and I need a technical co-founder, mm-hmm. right? And I need those people, whether whether they come in one person or two people, I need those that person or those people to also have the complementary skill sets for my deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, so at a base level, that that's what I'm looking at. And then comes the important stuff, the soft skills, right? The virtues, the characteristics, the ethics, like those personal things that are important to me. I need to find those things uh, in these co-founders as well, because I've had my own bad experiences in the past where I didn't realize that those things had to align as much. I didn't pay as much attention to aligning the personal stuff. And it, it, led, and it leads to, to actual conflict. Um, right. But the whole this whole thing of... of um, masterminding comes from a, a probably the book is what 101 102 years old now uh, think and grow rich by napoleon mm. hill right Classic. so it's a great book and uh, in that book he, napoleon talks about the mastermind effect right the idea that you know if, if this is my brain and and abby this is your brain uh, we decide in the middle to um focus our mind on a problem there's there's now like a third invisible brain um right being created when, when we're collaborating together, that that's where those sparks fly. That's where those ideas, those creative flashes come. Yeah, definitely. And I, I've witnessed it myself countless, you know, countless times in my business where uh, I bring something to my team and I think it's the best thing ever. I'm like, guys, this is, this is, look at this. It's awesome. And then they just proceed to, to completely have me revise the whole thing, but with new ideas. And then we come back and it's like, wow, look at th- what we just created now together is it's it really is the best way to explain it for me is that very often in a business and it's something that i'm experiencing more and more now as our business with an entrepreneur grows is that the whole is always greater than the sum of its parts right and that when you bring people together when you bring great minds together what you're able to achieve together is actually more than what you can each achieve on your own it's not like in business, it's not like bring three people together and now it's 
you know, your output is three versus one. No, you bring three people together. Now your output is, you know, 10 versus one, you know, just because of, you know, bringing all those ideas together and those experiences. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the concept of debate towards the goal of finding the truth is mm -hmm. also very important to have your own way for each company to a allow everybody and let them know it's safe and mm -hmm. good to debate. So sometimes from the outside, it may seem like arguing, right? But if everybody's doing it with the intention of getting to the truth of what it is, we've got to decide at this particular point, mm -hmm. that's the way to do it. I remember years ago, um, my head of product, right? In healthcare, we call that a chief medical officer and myself, we were debating over new features and we had hired a new CTO, chief technology officer. Mm -hmm. He only lasted two days. He only lasted two days because he repeatedly tried to stop us both from debating. And we both turned to him and said, what are you doing? He goes, well, you know, why don't we uh, deescalate this? Why don't we take this offline? You right. use all these, all these fancy buzzwords. And we said, why would you do that? I said, you're stopping the process. I said, we're not, we have no issue here with each other. We're trying to find the truth of what we're supposed to do with this particular feature. Um, a company that has done this really well years ago, I, I had the fortune of good fortune of meeting one of the founders of Pixar, a guy called Ed Catmull. Oh, wow. I love and, um, and, and he, he has a book, I think, called Creativity. But uh, in that book, and he was describing their rigorous process of stripping ideas down and sending it back repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly until they get to the version that they're really, really happy with. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and that's definitely, you know, it is essentially the iterative process that every business needs to go through, no matter what it is that you're building, whether you're building a product, whether you're, um, you know, creating a service that you'd like to offer customers or whether you're building a SaaS. Now, what is unique about a SaaS is with other business models, like for example, with us on Merpreneur, we focus very much on helping Muslims start service businesses when they're starting from scratch and they're just looking for a way to, you know, generate an income online, you know, things like, okay, what are the skills that you have and how can we take those skills and help you, you know, build an online business using those skills to provide a service? Let's say you have a marketing background. Can we help you start an agency? Let's say you have a design background. Can you become a graphic designer, social media manager, et cetera, et cetera, and helping them, you know, get started with that and then building on that to then, you know, graduate to SaaS or other businesses that they would like to build. And the reason why we do that is because we found that this is one of the quickest ways to actually start generating an income online, right? When you have a skill that you can monetize, then you're able to do so. Now with SaaS businesses, it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's very much the opposite where, you know, in SaaS, a lot of the build is upfront and a lot of, you know, the work is upfront and then the income and revenue comes later. And even when it does come, sometimes it's break even, you know, there's no guarantee that there is a profit and it really depends on how the business is structured and the profit margins. So I want to know, number one, am I completely way off by doing this? Or would you agree with that? And tell me what has been your experience building a SaaS business? Would you agree that it's one that does require more work up front before you can get to the point where you're, where you're saying we have a revenue, we're making profit, we're making an income? Yeah, I think that's what it looks like from the outside, that mm -hmm. there's, there's this upfront work. And then, you know, once it launches, it's a, it's a product that continues to generate recurring, almost passive income. Uh, mm -hmm. with very little overhead and the margins could be large. Um, some of that's true. Um, the thing though, is if you want to have a hyper successful company, you need to be iterating 
constantly, right? And right. these days within the engineering world, there's the concept of agile and agile environment, which means that, you know, in the olden days, you would build a product. And then let's say this is one year, you know, sometime within the one year, you would release the new version, right? But, uh, you know, look at your Android and Apple phones and everything else, right? There's always a new update coming, a new update coming, right? I mean, that's how we operate as well in the SaaS world, where every three to four weeks, you push a new version, new features into the cloud, into, into, into the environment. So you're constantly iterating on an ongoing basis. But the overall effort is less than a service business. That is true, right? And if you do it correctly, the margins are much, much larger than a service-based business because SaaS eventually, once you hit a certain scale, critical mass of clients, you no longer need to be adding the proportional number of hours and human beings to your organization to take care of those customers and grow it, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are systems and processes in place to make sure that client success is being handled by a minimal number of people. Um, so, you know, that's that would be my answer to it. I think for me, it makes more sense to do SaaS because mm -hmm. if I started a service business, then what do I need to do? I'm going to reach capacity for myself, you know, from the amount of hours that I have, and then I need to hire another person and another person and another person, right? And then there's supply chain as well. Um, also, you know, the world says that what us SaaS people build are products, but it's not, you know, it's not a physical product like like this phone, right? It's, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're creating bits and bytes in the, uh, in, in the cloud and that's being delivered as a product. Mm -hmm. Or very much as a service actually, right? Which is why it's called SaaS, software as a service. Um, yeah. And, and, and right now, within your, your SaaS business and within what you're working on, um, you know, to help optimize these small warehouses, what has been for you in this new company, the biggest challenge that you faced and how did you overcome it through this journey of building this, this new business here? Well, the big, the greatest challenge um, so far isn't the product. You know, mm -hmm. what's happening in the product is normal stuff, right? You know, we've, we've built our first version. We've, we have it in our beta customers. They're using it. We're getting some bugs. We're fixing it. That, that stuff is, is normal. But the greatest challenge this time around has been starting a company remotely because mm. I agreed to start this company with my, now I have two, two co-founders, there's three of us, without ever meeting them because of the pandemic. I'm in Toronto, they're in Florida. We were meeting over Zoom, right? So, I mean, we got to know each other for a year almost before deciding to start the company, right? Because I was pouring all sorts of cold water, trying to find problems with the idea for a while to make sure it was, it was sound. That was strange to do that. Um, and then, you know, it's it was strange to start hiring people at our office in Florida from Toronto and not meeting them. Um, and, uh, and it's been difficult to manage the team and the process from so far, mm -hmm. right? Uh, now, I think if the pandemic wasn't here, it would be much easier. I'd, maybe on a quarterly basis, I'd be in Florida with the team for a few days every quarter and there'd be that chemistry being built there as well right because you need that you need a certain amount of face-to-face -face for this remote stuff to work right because you need that that chemistry with each other first yeah well how are you overcoming this problem right now i mean is it is it zoom meetings and uh and you know trying to just be present and connected remotely is that how you're 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 uh yes. overcoming this problem 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was, you know, I was planning to probably travel there a little bit more than I'm able to, mm-hmm. but now, you know, as the pandemic lingers on, you know, I've, I've decided not to go and just continue to do the, the best we can over Zoom. Right. And would you, would you say that for someone that's starting a business now, uh, you know, within this, this, this pandemic, which is, I mean, we were hoping it was over, but now there's new variants coming out again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so, um, would you would you say that they should they should wait till it's over or should they as like as as you've done you know move forward despite it and figure it out and and you know do things remotely if you have to just keep moving just keep mm. moving do do what you have to do right you can't you can't wait right because you know if you're not in motion then it becomes stagnant right mm. so i mean and look at it if you if you had an idea at the beginning of the pandemic and you decided to wait it's two years now you'd still be waiting Right. Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to do the best you can with, with what you have. Definitely. What's the vision for rocket ship moving forward? So what can we expect from you guys and have you guys launched yet? Or if not, when do you plan to launch? And if so, if you have launched, what is the vision that we can expect moving forward? Inshallah. So we have launched, we're in a beta program right now, which means it's a control set of clients that we are, um, installing the software in and, and, and monitoring. Mm-hmm. Um, our goal is to, you know, once the beta program is complete uh, by February is to launch publicly and try to grow the company as exponentially as possible. Uh, we're focusing on a few uh, stores, I guess they, they call it in the e-commerce world, right? So right now we're focusing on mainly Shopify plus customers. Then we're going to focus on WooCommerce customers and kind of work our way down in that, in that particular way. Mm-hmm. Would you, would your uh, software be a solution? You mentioned Shopify customers. So w- is your is your software solutions only directed to uh, small warehouses, or could also e-commerce store owners benefit from using Rocketship? I mean, who who would be your target customer? Since we're talking about that, yeah, it it would it would be um, a business that is self fulfilling their okay. own merchandise. Um, usually it wouldn't be home-based if you're doing it home-based then it, it would probably, our software would probably be overkill. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and if you're doing at least, I'd say 50 orders a day, then, then the software would work. If you're doing 50 orders or less, you're better off just manually doing what you're doing. Uh, but once you're at 50 orders or more, our software comes into play. And I think, um, the big ROI, the big selling point for our beta customers has been, um, I guess this will sound bad, but I mean it in the in the spirit of efficiency. For every uh, five employees that they had, they are able to let three or four go, because right. yeah, one to two of the employees are able to do the same work as as, as five once once the software is in play within the warehouse. Well, well, that that essentially means that it's you know it, it is doing the work that three employees would do, and probably more for bigger companies. So that's that's a that's a a beautiful proof of concept that you have there, mashallah. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a bit of a more personal question, uh, brother Saad, as we, uh, as we're getting close to wrapping up the podcast. And it's a question that I ask every single guest. It's one of my favorite actually. And the question is the following. If you could meet 18 year old, uh, so it was just, you know, he, he you, you were, uh, you just finished, you know, setting up the basketball team and you're, your community, you have that experience there and um, you're interested in entrepreneurship, you're curious about it. You don't know yet, of course, you're 18, but you're about to go on this journey of building SaaS companies and SaaS businesses. And you could tell him one thing that he could hold on to throughout this journey, right? You could hold on to kind of like a mantra or 
you know, just something to remember so that he could, you know, use that through his journey to help him throughout. What would that one thing be for you? What would you tell him? I think uh, three words. Um, I mean, I, I came up with these three words last year, actually, because I do coach a select few of CEOs and tech entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in general. Mm-hmm. And through my work with them, uh, I, I was trying, a lot of them come to me because they want to learn how to scale and exit. Right. And several of them have done that and have gone through their own, their own exits. mashallah, Right. So that's, that's good. But I came up with this saying called own your exit. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and that came from me reflecting on the different chapters I've had entrepreneurially in my life and why they ended up the way they did. And I realized what I've done instinctively over that time is own my exit. So I would tell my 18 year old self, own your exit. And what that actually means is listen to the voice inside of you. And that voice is always right. The hard part is getting to that voice on a regular basis, right? You have to have some kind of practice to disconnect from the outside world and reconnect with yourself inside so you can hear that voice, right? So you're no offense to this podcast or any other podcasts or books or speakers or anything else, but we're inundated with lots of information. So it's Correct. like clearing all that away and then hearing what your voice inside is saying, you know, and as Muslims, we have naturally built into the rhythm of our day a few five times a day, potentially to, to be able to, 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 to do something like that. But that voice will let you know when it's time to leave each chapter. Um, and for example, with the last company, you know, we, the truth is five years before the exit, we were almost going into bankruptcy. And then I went through this five-step process of bringing the company back. And that was guided by my mentors. Mentorship is a huge thing for me. I went and sought out some amazing mentors and they taught me how to achieve that hockey stick curve. But when we sold the company, many people within the company pleaded with me to not sell the company. Mm-hmm. They said, why are we selling? You know, this is amazing now. It's going really great. You know, it can go even greater over the next five years. And my voice inside said, it's time to leave. Right. You know, it's, you know, maybe it's like Kobe Bryant, right. He went out on top, right. And in, in terms of his, his basketball career and that's owning your exit. That's deciding like, no, I'm going to proactively do this. I'm not going to change and leave something or make any drastic change. I'm not going to wait until something dramatic happens in my life, until an illness happens, an accident happens, something remorseful happens. I'm going to take control of it and and go out on top. So I think, um, you know, that concept of owning your exit has been key in terms of the people that I'm coaching, has been key in terms of myself, you know, I'm even slowly writing a book on the process that I have. Who knows what it'll be ready years from now in terms of how to own your exit. But um, that, that's what I tell myself. That's really beautiful, brother. I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that and you touched upon it on this podcast and um, that you also touched upon mentorship and the importance of it. And um, I'm really excited to read the book. I'll be honest with you. I'm really excited to read the book and read about your experiences and, and what is specifically that five-step process that you went through to take the, the company back from bankruptcy to, to Alhamdulillah, you know, being, being a successful, thriving company that you were able to exit, which was, is always really impressive. And I think 
for a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, you know, we sometimes go through those phases and a lot of people give up. A lot of people think, well, we're on the phase of bankruptcy. Let me get out now before it gets even worse. Right. But you've chosen, you've chosen to stick it through. You've chosen to get mentorship, to get help and to reverse the process. And it's paid off in dividends. So, uh, kudos to you for having that courage, honestly. Mashallah. Jazakallah. Thank you. So where can people go to support you, connect with you, uh, follow rocket ship, maybe be part of it. They're listening to it and they're like, you know what? I have an e-commerce. I have a few employees and I want to get rid of them. So <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I want to make things more efficient. So where can people go? Where should we lead them when they're listening to this? Yeah. Uh, my personal website, which is uh, sodjuman.io. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not that active on uh, social media. The only platform that I'm kind of active on is LinkedIn. So you can mm-hmm. find me there. And uh, also I've got a blog where I have my own entrepreneurial ruminations on Substack. Okay. Awesome. Amazing. And uh, we'll make sure to share those links in the episode notes. Inshallah, I'll send you a message so you can link them to me as well. Put them in the episode notes in the video description. So if you're watching, look there and we'll make sure to have those links up for you guys so you can check them out and go and check out saudjuman.io. We put it up on the screen. If you're listening, it's S-A-U-D-G-U-M-A-N.io. So make sure to check it out, Inshallah. And um, Saud, I really appreciate you joining me on this podcast. It was a very insightful conversation. I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners did too. And I hope that we can even bring you on again in the future, Inshallah. Abi, thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Jazakallah. Wa alaikum. Take care, brother. Assalamu alaikum.